Hello, everybody, uh, and welcome to a brand new horror podcast. Uh, we are. Tell us what's in the box. What's Woo! in the box? What's in the oh. box? We are um, a podcast that specifically focuses on relationships in horror movies, um, whether that's romantic, friendship, family, you know, anything that puts the uh dis in dysfunctional and so you know we're going to be unpacking lots of boxes of baggage um through whatever we look at film video games comic books short stories we're going to cover it all um so stick with us on our journey for our pilot episode uh which is this one yeah uh, my name is joanna um huge you know, I, I like anything that's scary, anything that goes bump, bump in the night. A member of the Horror Writers Association, had a couple poems published, you know, but um, I got into, I guess, the uh, scene with air quotes that y'all can't see um, when I was, oh God, really, really young, read a lot of goosebumps and all of that good stuff. And, you know, my family thought it was going to be a phase and nope. Still, you know, may not be so goth on the outside anymore, but I'm pretty much still dead on the inside. So looking forward to, yeah, exploring these dead style, emotionless, cold-hearted relationships. But uh, yeah, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. I'm Danny. Um, I'm also a writer. Uh, I write horror short stories. I write for role-playing games. I'm also a member of the Horror Writers Association. Um, gosh, I've liked horror stuff ever since I was a little kid, too. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I think the first horror movie I ever saw or got to see, the first thing that scared me, I think, was the Gamork and the NeverEnding Story. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> I think that was the first like thing I was like, oh God, that's that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Awesome. <clears throat> well, um, why don't you tell us what we're gonna be talking about today? Because there's a big anniversary happening right now for this movie. And what is it? There is. It is on April 14th. 2020 it is the 20th anniversary of american psycho the mm. 2000 movie uh directed by mary heron and starring christian bale with a very young jared leto as well yes yes back when he was you know far far removed from <laughs> joker so but that's a completely different conversation and we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to open up that box. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We're not going to open, gonna up, open that up that box. No. <laughs> that box is still in the warehouse. Still in yes. the warehouse. So are we right again? So let's get into this discussion. Uh, oh. American Psycho, um, based on the book by Brett Easton Ellis. That's it. Yeah. Brett mm. Easton Ellis. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly what the, <laughs> the name was. Um, so the first question um, I think we need to discuss since we're discussing relationships um, and feel free um, if you're listening, if you haven't watched the movie or read the book, feel free to go do that and come back. So, um, cause we're going to be talking spoilers. We're going to kind of assume people have knowledge of the movie at the very least. So um, go ahead and do that. We'll be here. 
So uh, the first question we should talk about is, can Patrick Bateman have relationships to begin with? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. That's great. Next question. That's the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Solid no. <laughs> no. That dude, no. I mean, he, he, he can do a lot of things. Relationships are not one of them unless it's himself. Yeah. And, and I even think with himself, he has not – not really a relationship. A lot of the movie um, plays with reflection. And, you know, he sees his reflection in a lot of things. We, he notes his reflection uh, first in the Les Miserables posters. The first time we see it, we see it um, when they go to the restaurant and he's looking in that shiny metal menu and looking at his, uh, you know, reflection in that. Uh, more extensively, later on, he has all these mirrors and he's recording himself having sex with the prostitutes. Mm. It, it's, it's, and I think, I think the reason for that is like, that's how he kind of mimics what relationships are supposed to be and how people are supposed to act because he doesn't know. So the only thing he really has to go on is reflection like people reflecting back on him, how he should be reacting or what he sees. Absolutely. Um, and I think also to like go to a quote that he says to his fiance very early on in the film, who's played by um, the lovely Reese Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she asks him, you know, you don't need to work at, you know, your dad's firm anyways, you know, la, 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 la. Why, why do you even need, you know, why do you want to work there? And he just tells her, because I want to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that quote is very, that sets up the rest of the film for who Patrick Bate Bateman, not only who he is, but who he is going to become. Because he is trying so desperately to fit into this, like, high pressure, like, super corporate Wall Street world. And it's, literally driving him insane you know there's an argument to be made like you know did he have like psychotic tendencies this whole time and this is just where it's manifesting until he loses control you know that you know that's you know uh, an, an, another thing to definitely kind of delve into um <clears throat> excuse me but uh, yeah i think how how he sees himself he really really wants to fit into that world because that's what he wants because there's money women power but yet he's still trying to maintain this facade of like having a fiance because that's also what he's supposed to do mm -hmm. uh, yeah <laughs> yeah for sure see i think it's interesting you mentioned that because i always got, you know i always get the impression that like he's always been a psychopath mm -hmm. and because the commentary or the commonly, this is what the author says of the book, and this is kind of what Mary Heron talks about as well in a couple interviews, is that it's really kind of a satire on how kind of vapid and shallow and like vacuous the the corporate world of the 80s was. Mm -hmm. and that And that the real horror is not that Patrick Bateman is a psychopath, it's that it doesn't matter <laughs> because it yeah. just gets sucked up 
into the world that he's living in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and actually interesting that uh, Christian Bale talked about in an interview that he had with uh, the author and the director. It was the three of them on, I think, Charlie Rose. And um, he said that Patrick Bateman actually has an arc where he goes from being a psychopath to psychotic. Yeah. The difference, the difference being, you know, psychopath has at least somewhat of a grip on reality. They can, they can pass. Right. Mm -hmm. But the arc for Patrick Bateman is that he becomes psychotic, which is, you have no grasp of reality. His grasp of reality starts slipping, um, yeah. which he even says, he says, you know, my bloodthirsty nights are bleeding into my days. I don't know what's happening to me. So therefore his relationships, bringing it back to relationships between when he's psychopathic to as he arcs to being psychotic and losing that grip on reality also change. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about his fiance. How do we feel about her relationship to him and his Ugh. relationship with her? I think she's, she's obviously clueless. Um, you know, to touch on like what, what you just said about his arc throughout the whole film, like that, that scene in, in the restaurant when he's breaking up with her and like his whole grip on reality is completely shot. Um, He's sitting there with like children's crayons coloring on the paper on the table, you know, that image of the woman that he killed with the chainsaw and he's drawing it and drawing it and, you know, filling it in with red for the blood and everything. And she, you know, that whole image just kind of drives home how she relates to him, just how completely like, I don't even want to say I that she that maybe she's intentionally ignoring you know her fiance's behavior i i honestly think she just ooh, like just doesn't even see it because if you look at that scene she doesn't even look down at what at what he's doing mm-hmm. she doesn't even address it you know she's obviously like more more concerned about like no we can't break up my friends are your friends and your friends are my friends and da 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 you know it it doesn't matter that clearly right. something is wrong with him yeah. you know yeah so while he doesn't care about her it you know because it's just you know this is what i'm supposed to do i'm supposed to have a fiance i'm supposed to have this that and the other thing and it makes sense she also doesn't care about him like it's not like a one-sided superficial relationship like even though he's psychopathic and can't have them She's quite obviously not, and still they don't have, like, she is still not reciprocating, like, a real relationship, you know, or she would be concerned about that shit, right? She would notice. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. And she doesn't, here's, here's what got me, too. She doesn't become concerned or think that he's serious until he basically tells her, well, you can have our friends. Like, you can have them. I don't care. Like, to her, it wasn't serious until he was willing to Mm -hmm. give up the status of their friends and the whole lifestyle and their circle of, of, you know, highfalutin friends that she thought he was serious. And that's when she started to pay attention. Yeah. 
you know, like he was telling her, I don't think it works. I don't feel, you know, he's telling her all these pretty serious things, right? Mm -hmm. Not only that, but he's drawing this psychotic picture. She's not paying attention. She's, you know, waving to people. She's talking to other people. But then, you know, when she's, when he says, well, you can have them. I don't care. He's like, wait, what? Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause throughout the entire film, like he is about status in every way, shape, and form. And I mean, once he calls his lawyer and breaks down and tells him, I killed like 20 people. I don't know. There's some home homeless guys, some some prostitutes. They shot can, we just, can we just talk about best performance on that though? Because yes. that was intense. Like she didn't even have to move the camera. She just plastered it on his face and just, yeah. so that's, that, that's a side note, but yeah. Oh, that was so good. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, he he essentially like gave up trying to have this status, you know, right? And I mean, it kind of goes into both kind of his relationships with uh, Paul and also like his his own lawyer too. Um, which those are kind of separate topics that we'll um, unpack in in a second. But yeah, I mean, he at the end was just like. I I give up on everything. I'm mm-hmm. going to, you know, I don't care about about this status and it's only until like his lawyer swears up and down that he doesn't know him and he's like no, I know Paul. Like I had dinner with him twice in London. Does it eventually click for Patrick that he's like, "Wait, I'm okay now?" Mm-hmm. And what I kind of liked about that whole ending thing was like, you know, like as the viewer, it also kind of makes you question, like, is Patrick really crazy? Did he really do all of these murders? But then, like, for me, and I don't know how you in- interpret this too, but once he gets to that end and his lawyer is just like, I don't know you, buddy, get away. I think, like, holy shit, his lawyer basically fixed everything because that's the culture of this whole place. Uh-huh in the 80s and by him saying i don't know you that's like i did this for you but i'm not i'm not going to do it again and then that that's like the clean slate for bateman to regain his status again and it's a never-ending just cycle of crap (laughs) yeah see that's interesting Mm because what i feel like is leading into the culture of you know it's vacuous and shallow and these guys are all alike right Mm -hmm. there's a constant theme of uh misnaming um you know where they keep being mistaken for other people um Mm -hmm. you know paul allen mistakes uh you know patrick bateman for this guy haversham and like you know and not just bateman but other people mistake other people mm-hmm. it happened several times they have the same credit card in the very first scene at the restaurant yeah. they have the same credit card they have the same barber you know pulling out the business card scene is like indicative of that like they are all alike so i actually mm-hmm. honestly think his lawyer thought he had dinner with paul allen like he thought yeah. that that's who it was. Yeah. Like then- literally, he thought like Patrick Bateman was playing a joke, or and he didn't even think it was Patrick Bateman yeah. at first because he was saying, "Oh, that was good, but you picked Bateman, you know, to make the joke. Like if it was so and so or so and so, I would have believed you." Yeah. And he's like, "No, I'm Patrick Bateman. Bateman. That was me." 
And then he was like, what? You know, but the thing is, no, I really think his lawyer seriously thought he had had dinner with Paul Allen in London, like mistaking somebody else yeah. for Paul that, Allen. That totally makes sense too, because then when you get <laughs> back to the detective, he's like, oh, somebody said, you know, they saw Paul Allen in London and we're checking it out, but it's not really all that credible. But then, you know, I also keep going back because that was when, when, when Patrick goes into the apartment at the end and everything is gone, it's white. There's like, a ladder and paint buckets and brushes um, in the closet. I mean, that was a closet where dead, like that was Paul's apartment. That was mm -hmm. where he was keeping all of the, you know, dead bodies. And he goes in there and he's like, what? Where are all the chicks that I killed? And the, the, the lady walks out of the other room. She's like, oh, are you my two o'clock? And he's like, no. Oh. And then she kind of like gets the word look on her face and eventually she's like, I think, I think you need to leave, which that whole scene for me, I'm like, I think she knows. Yeah. Yeah. She, she had to have known. So well, she put it together. I think Yeah. when he was there and he was asking, this was Paul Allen's apartment. Right. And yeah. she saw him there with a mask and like the tool that he had. Yeah. And I think she put it together. But the thing is, she didn't care because this is an apartment overlooking the park. Yep. It's money. It's money. Oh, so she's yeah. basically just like, don't, you know, walk away. Like, don't come back. And he was yeah. like, don't worry, I won't. But, but, that's, but that's almost even worse. Like, which is more horrific, the, the fact that he did all this or the fact that they were willing to just cover this up off to get the money to cover all this up just to get the money to you know i think i think that too and i mean like clearly i i really think the lawyer had a hand in it because he he confessed everything um but i also like agree with you in the sense that the lawyer really didn't know who called him he he just knew crap this is one of my clients who killed a bunch of prostitutes and random people you know we got to go into this apartment and clean it up to to protect him and probably in his mind if he thinks he had dinner with paul in london he's probably like oh shit this is why paul is in london because he has all these dead bodies in his apartment so mm -hmm. i need to fix this for him hmm yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of getting far away from um, the relationship. You know, but the, but the, you know, I mean, you know, it's interesting. All, yeah, it's like not only are we talking about because talking about all this stuff about people misidentifying people and thinking, you know, the lawyer at first thought, oh yeah, that was a joke, that was really funny. You know, you calling it up me up that message was hilarious, and all this other stuff. It's like. The bigger thing is like people kind of focus on Patrick Bateman and that he's this killer and what he does. But the bigger thing is like when you look at it, nobody has relationships in this movie. Like yeah. you can't just sit there and say that Patrick Bateman, oh yeah, he doesn't have, he's a psychopath. He doesn't have any real relationships. But the bigger thing that it's pointing out by contrast to Patrick Bateman and I think the thing that the author and the director were trying to get at, both in the book and the movie, were that nobody does. Nobody in that movie does. The lawyer doesn't even know his clients when they're staring him yeah. right in the face. <clears throat> you know, Paul Allen doesn't know him. 
mistakes him for someone else. Yeah. His fiance barely pays attention to him, you know? And even his mistress, like, let's get on that topic. Yes. That's very interesting. Let's get yes. on let's get on the topic of his mistress and Lewis. Because this <laughs> is something that I want to talk about. Yes. So his mistress obviously doesn't have a good relationship with her husband. I mean, she's she's, you know, screwing around with Patrick Bateman, right? Yeah. But neither one of them ever really stopped to think that she should like not marry this guy at least not until the end the very Mm -hmm. last time we see her she kind of seems like she might be about to posit the idea Mm -hmm. but then doesn't she keeps trying to stop him from leaving or she keeps you know like saying something and he's like what you know so so that you know that's just the way it is you know she's marrying this guy she doesn't like Mm -hmm. it's expected you know that's the way life is um, so I'm just gonna, uh, you know, have sex with Patrick Bateman on the side. But she catches feelings for him, you mm-hmm. know, you know, and while us as an audience, that's kind of obvious with that final scene where she's like, Patrick, what? Never mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that's that's the end of it. He like that is literally the closest thing that patrick has to an actual relationship of any kind throughout the whole film but he's too self-centered to realize you know that this woman actually does care for him you know and it really is like the barest inkling like it's not much it's just like the barest little like sliver and everything i would i would argue the other one like her and his secretary Oh, are really yes. the only two people that are like kind of real at any point mm-hmm. um and maybe and maybe lewis as well but i i would argue that like like if anything those are kind of the three that display anything kind of mm-hmm. um at all that's kind of realistic um you know because the irony is like we were saying like she's having sex with Patrick Bateman. She's supposed to marry this guy, Lewis. But then what happens? Like Patrick Bateman goes to literally kill him in the bathroom. This same guy, you know, who, who's yeah. going to marry this woman he's been screwing, right? Yeah. And it turns out... <laughs> Lewis is yeah. into Patrick. <laughs> yeah, is really into Patrick. So an interesting that, thing that I was yeah. that I was wanting to ponder was... Obviously, Patrick Bateman gets, you know, uncomfortable with this, gets flustered, gets thrown off, you know, doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, most of the things I read said, well, he's, you know, disgusted. But I'm kind of like, you know, because he says those are the only two things he feels, disgust and greed. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that maybe there's, there's just a little bit, just a little bit in that of – what makes him uncomfortable perhaps or kind of starts him down like the, the like even a worse path like he's already kind of heading down that path of of psychotic but what pushes him down a little bit more and it kind of makes him at the end sort of be like screaming out for any sort of attention at all which is really what he's doing at the end he's trying yeah. everything to get caught and people to pay attention to what he's doing and like really listen to him and he can't no no matter who it is he's talking to mm-hmm. 
is that Lewis in that scene in the bathroom kind of displays that he actually notices Patrick Bateman. Yeah. He, he does not misname him ever. Mm. Like he knows this is Patrick. This yes. is Patrick Bateman. I remember that tie you wore at the Christmas party two years ago. Like I've yeah. noticed your body. Like he notices Patrick Bateman. And, and is that sort of the thing? Like he's never had that really happen. He's been getting away with what he's doing for so long and has gotten so used to being noticed that this kind of pushes him down a little bit further down that path of mm-hmm. wanting to be differentiated because he kind of sees what it's like. Because in that scene, it's pretty obvious that Lewis isn't just thinking, oh, this is anybody like hitting on me. Like this is Patrick. Like he knows the difference. Like he, yeah. he, he like, you know, can differentiate, you know? Yeah. That scene, yeah, that's definitely one of the scenes in that film that, like, stands out the absolute most. Um, and it's it's interesting because, like, Lewis walks up to the group before and he's just like, I decided to upgrade my business card. You know, like, the going back to the whole business card proverbial dick showing con- contest, basically, where nearly all the cards, like, look exactly the same. But Patrick just increasingly is like getting jealous he's getting filled filled with rage so when lewis does that that's kind of like the last straw for him because you know one how dare anyone else have anything better than him but two like i think like he likes lewis the least out of anybody else so for lewis to have anything that's better than what he can have, you know, screw, screw you guys. So he goes in there all ready to kill this guy. And then when Lewis come, comes on to him, he obviously freaks out and, and leaves. And I, you know, I think one, one of two things is happening, like that is the most like intimate moment that Patrick has had, you know, or has in the entire film and maybe even in his entire life. But two, like that he's for the first time, like utterly, like he's not in control of the situation. So the only thing he knows how to do is to (laughs) wash his gloves. Wash, wash his gloves and then just flip out and get out of there. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause, and I don't think it's, he, I, I don't think it's necessarily a homophobic thing, although it definitely comes, comes across like that. It's basically like, nah, he's not in control of this situation. Yeah. And I mean, even with the scenes of him talking with the detective played by William Defoe, yes. um, there's a power struggle there in those scenes and every single time you know he or that that patrick feels like he's starting to lose control he starts to get more aggressive and more and more mm-hmm. flustered. um but yeah i think that's kind of how i took yeah. that whole entire scene in the bathroom yeah i mean i think it can be a combination of those things it could be like a little bit yeah. of the homophobia a little bit of like oh i'm being noticed a little bit of the i'm not in control you know, I think, it, you know, it's one of those complicated, like, you know, it can be all of those different things, um, which kind of makes his relationship with Lewis kind of one of the more 
three-dimensional <laughs> instances mm-hmm. that you see because that really is like the stuff that Lewis was saying to him, you know, like, oh, I want it too. You know, I've watched your body. I've wanted this so much. Like, there's something he doesn't get from his fiance. That's nothing he gets from the prostitutes, probably not even the mistress, um, to be honest, because yeah. like it kind of shows scenes with them. And it doesn't seem like there's platitudes there, like mm-hmm. like the, the mistress and and um and Patrick Bateman. They don't like you know they're not lovey dovey. You know they're not you know it's like oh yeah we're having sex like on the side or whatever. But with that, like that's that's like very intimate. Like he kisses his wrist, you know, yeah. and you know like starts. Something that he's not, you know, because he's used to kind of like ordering and, and, you know, like, you know, we see how he kind of handles that just very like, I order you to do this, that I'm going to tell you, you know, like her asshole, you know, do this, do that. Yes. It's not just, a just reci- don't stare at it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not reciprocated. It's yeah. not like a, a dual thing. And in that instance, it's like, yeah, all of a sudden he doesn't have the upper hand and he's kind of being forced into a kind of more equal uh sort of you know consensual like reciprocated relationship kind of thing you know uh yeah yeah. so it's so so i think you know i would argue that one is kind of the more like three-dimensional because even his secretary who you know we can probably move on to next um you know they don't have scenes like that really I do. Uh, I sorry. I do have one. One more thought. Oh sure, go ahead. That bathroom thing scene with uh, Lewis, and I mean it ties into something we can get get into later. But um, after Patrick murders Paul, basically, and you get comments about like, oh, his business card is better than mine. Oh, his apartment is better than mine. You know, he hates Paul because he has better stuff than than himself. You know, and then after he murders Paul and dump, dumps his Bonnie when he invites the women back to his place he tells them yeah my name is Paul so uh-huh. he's like essentially trying to become this person who he viewed as you know a threat to his dominance uh-huh. and that was going to go that way with Lewis but when it turns out that you know Lewis came came on to him it, there's um what's this whole conundrum of like, I'm supposed to kill you because you're, you're better than me, but I can't take on your name or your personality because you're, you're gay. And that's not what this world is supposed to be. Wait, I don't, I don't understand this. This does Mm -hmm. not compute. And let me go wash my gloves and then run out of the bathroom. You know, doesn't know it's 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 no no um, no he had to yeah. return videotapes like he has to return videotapes, videotapes. <laughs> oh right videotapes right. are very important yes he always has to return videotapes that's that's the excuse yes, that the, I, like, the texas chainsaw to... massacre and the, yes. the porno he was watching yes <laughs> somehow i don't think he was kind and re and rewound those tapes at all either <laughs> i don't think he so, was but yeah no that's that's the excuse that i use whenever i want to get out of doing something even till <laughs> till this day you know <laughs> i had to go return videotapes i return some videotapes what yes what are yeah. those you know which is interesting because you know you can also get the fact about his relationships to things are you know like even when he's watching those movies 
like they're meant to like tiddly and they're meant to mm. shock, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then the porno, but he doesn't, they're just, yeah, they're just not even watching, but obviously yeah. he's inspired by, by that. But let's go back to the sec- secretary. secretary. Yeah. And then, yeah. That's a nice name. Jean, Jean, oh, Jean. Yeah. Jean, the secretary. So she's interesting because she, she, you know, we kind of talked about the mistress who had this little inkling at the end that she, you know, kind of cared and had, you know, kind of gotten involved, you know, or kind of had feelings. And of course, Lewis, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then Jean is interesting because she genuinely out of everybody seems like a compassionate person. Right. You know, and not just after something like for themselves. Like she really seemed everything you see of her, like she seems like a real person. She's not like a cookie cutout. She's not, you know, like all the other secretaries. She's not, you know, right. in that, you know. Um and and so, you know, you get the sense that she really is this this compassionate kind of person so what do we think about her relationship with with patrick bateman her boss Uh, it's almost like like obviously he he demeans her like all the other women you know telling her that doesn't suit you you should wear this and do this and everything else and at the end of the day like she wants she wants to please him but it's this sort of like gray area between pleasing him as a person and pleasing him as a boss but she seems to also have this understanding of how this like high pressure corporate like world works um but it's i find it very interesting that when she goes back to his apartment whatever he was planning to do to his secretary whether that was just have sex with her or like you know mutilate her with a with a wire hanger or anything like that you know we we, we don't really know because he he's he's just basically like you i can't do this you need to leave i'm i'm upset um she's definitely like more more bold than anyone else and she's honest and more honest yeah which again that is intimacy so when she starts like asking questions are you still with your fiance and you know things things like that you know that stuff you know to build a closer relationship again he freaks out and is like go leave you know i can't i can't i can't yeah yeah you know if you stay i think bad things will happen Uh, yeah you know that whole deal so i mean do you think like so why do you think he didn't kill her do you think it it was like that like what what do you think you know made him change his mind because it seemed like in that scene he changed his mind a couple times yeah like he was going to get something that looked like he was going to use on her and then she'd say something and put it back yeah. And then something else would happen and he you know what I mean? And yeah. So- I think I think it's really the same thing with Lewis. Like somebody actually showing him real affection and then it just, you know, just overrode ev- everything else and completely threw threw him off center and he needed to figure out like how do I re- regain control of this? Um 
you know, which is kind of interesting because you, you would think, you know, if you gain control of the situation, you know, maybe he would just like murder them like he did Paul. But with Paul, he was under control of the situation the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul didn't challenge him, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in any way. Um, I mean, (laughs) Do you have a little dog, a little chow, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Do you like Huey Lewis? No. Mm. Um, Yeah, I just, I I think it just, the intimacy thing just is really the thing that, like, shuts him down, like, mentally. And he, you Mm. know, maybe, maybe in those moments he does feel a tinge of guilt, and that's why he has to run away because he was basically, you know, like to, to her, you need to leave. Otherwise I'm going to do bad, bad things. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So keeping with Jean, the secretary, mm-hmm. like at the end, she's the one that finds his planner. Like it's like the second to last scene and she kind of goes through it and she sees like the more and more like disturbing things. Like you basically yeah. watch his mind disintegrate as she starts going through it. And even the drawings start getting a little more, like, haggard, too. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think, just postulating, you know, mm. based off kind of – because I got the impression that she really did kind of, like, have a little bit of, like, affection for him. And, and it was mm-hmm. that whole, like, you're my boss, we shouldn't, but I kind of want to vibe I was kind of getting from her mm-hmm. in that apartment scene. And so, you know, they were having two completely different conversations. Like, she was having the conversation of, oh, yeah, we shouldn't. You know, we're boss and secretary, but I kind of want to. And he was like, do I kill you or not? You know, yeah. (laughs) Two different layers of conversation. So what do you think, just postulating, is she Mm going to do with this information? Like, when she finds the planner, like, would she just hide it, do you think? Or do you think, like, Mm. she'll turn it in? Or do you, like... What do you think? Like, I mean, you would that? Would she just try to continue on? Forget she ever saw it? Like, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, other than than the detective, because I mean, the the it's clear that the that the detective knows who Pat who Patrick is because he's always like you know trying to do reverse psychology and try to you know be buddy buddy too, but. Jean, she's the only one that like really, you know, hardcore in, in that moment with the planner sees her boss for who, for who he really is. And it's such a stark contrast between like that whole thing. And when Patrick is doing the drawing and crayon at the table and Evelyn doesn't even notice as far as what I think her character would do though, like, I think she would mostly keep quiet, but at the very most, she she might quit. Um, I I don't think she would necessarily would know like what to do with that information. But any little crush that she had on him, obviously, that's uh, that's no longer an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what do you think? Because I'm I'm really on the fence about that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, she obviously, because he, she seems, and there's evidence of this, that she kind of feels bad for him in a way with mm-hmm. certain scenes that she sees, even if she has a little, you know, because he screams at her when he, she, he calls her, 
he kind of screams at her to stop sounding so sad. Mm-hmm. And and then when she sees the planner, she's sad. So it doesn't feel like it doesn't come off to me looking at kind of like the 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 attitude and the posture and how she was mm-hmm. reacting when she was seeing this thing. I mean, she was crying. She wasn't acting like horrified really i don't think it wasn't like horrified or disgusted or angry it felt more like like just sad yeah like sad like like pity like you know like here's a broken dude you know like here's you know and kind of the same thing came across on the phone you know don't sound so sad you know she's upset and she's like what's going on you know what's wrong you know and Mm -hmm. all this stuff and she because she actually gives a fuck. Yeah, and I, I feel like because it didn't it didn't feel to me like it would come off as it can didn't come off to me as like angry or anything like that. It would be it came off as sad. Mm-hmm. So I think one of two things would happen. Just looking at the relationship they had in the in the in the movie and her reaction to kind of when he calls her and the planner and everything, and even when they were in the apartment together she was kind of sad about the whole thing about, yeah, we really shouldn't, you know, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't like kind of like this excited, like this is going to happen sort of thing. It was really very sad. Like she, she was very sad all the time in regards to relationship to Patrick. So I think one of two things would happen, either she would quit, you know, she would move on quietly, you know, just, just quit, you know, I have to go and, and go somewhere else and try to forget about it. Or she would literally just put it back in the drawer and try to forget about it. Yeah. But more than likely I would be inkling towards she quits and, you know, not say anything, but she just kind of quits and moves, you know, out of the city or whatever, you know, like disbelief. It's, um, I find that it kind of ties into Patrick, uh, his, how he liked to quote Ted Bundy a lot and mm-hmm. Ed, Ed Gein a lot too. Cause I see two different sides to Patrick. There is the Ted Bundy side, which I feel really comes out in that scene, uh, with Jean when she's, you know, like in just disbelief and sad that this, you know, handsome, respectable, high powered, successful man, you know, is a serial killer basically. Cause that was the whole thing with Ted Bundy. Nobody this good looking could be this deranged and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Finish. Oh, um, and then of course, like there's a, Ed side of it and the Mm -hmm. homage when he's running down naked in the hallway with the chainsaw which is a call back to the scene that's on the tv from the first from the first chainsaw film you know so he like starts ted bundy but then by the end of the film he's more like deranged out of control ed ed gein so Mm -hmm. it's and his his physical features just become more disheveled yeah and that's kind of interesting you brought it up because he actually so it's kind of interesting about perception and what he perceives and his relationship with reading about other serial killers because even when he reads about them he kind of misinterprets because that quote that he attributes about i wonder what their head would look like on a stick yeah he misattributes that's actually not and that's on purpose 
Mm-hmm. It was not actually, um, I think he attributes it to Bundy, right? Uh, but, um, or he, did, did he say it was Gain or did yeah, he? Yeah, it was Bundy. It, it was Ed, Ed Gein. Yeah. yeah. But it's actually, it was actually Kemper who yeah. said that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was actually Kemper who mm. said that. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, like, even, you know, he's reading about these people and what they say, and maybe even, you know, seeing himself in it a little bit, he still kind of doesn't process it he correctly. He still gets it wrong. Exactly. And also, like, with the music and how he wants to fit in so bad, you know, like that that scene where he and, you know, a woman's head on on a spike you know he's she's trying to fit in so bad but the other two dudes are they they just look at him and he's like uh patrick that's a little too far man like yeah. that's, that's a little creepy and then he's like oh crap maybe you're gonna <laughs> a little bit you know but he's 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 trying Wait, what to do you f- mean what do you mean not everyone <laughs> just quotes serial killers in conversation i don't know what are you trying to I, tell what? me what are you I, trying to tell me i mean most people do, i guess <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's trying to fit in so bad, but he miss, attributes uh, that quote. Um, he gets on the phone before the detective shows up for, for the first time and is pretending to talk, to talk to somebody to give advice on how to tip a stylist, you know, um, um, when he makes the dinner reservations for him and his sec secretary um they they're like no we can't get you a reservation so everything is is this facade of him trying to be the best and trying to to be perfect and i don't even remember where i was going with this crap no no um i I don't even remember but well i think that the whole thing that you're talking about is misattributing Mm -hmm. this stuff and then misattributing the music has to go like you have to have a relationship with these things really to understand them or at least some form of human empathy or understanding at least and the fact that Mm -hmm. he kind of gets all of his interpretation of music wrong and the fact that he kind of misattributes these quotes it's like He's trying to act like he understands mm-hmm. these things and he doesn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't. And the reason being is because he doesn't have, you know, the capacity for human empathy human that everybody yeah. else does that, that, that gives you that, oh, feeling a piece of music or understanding mm-hmm. a piece of music and understanding what it's about and what it's saying, you know, um, you know, he goes on tirades about, Genesis and and Whitney Houston and Huey Lewis in the news, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and when he talks about it, it's always wrong because yeah. he doesn't understand what it's trying to say. Um, yeah. Like he misinterprets Huey Lewis's song as being about conformity, the joys of conformity and fitting in, mm-hmm. and it's not that particular song. Him to be square is all about well, everybody makes fun of me, but I'm gonna do this anyway you know and and so you know he he kind of interprets what he wants to i guess into it just Mm -hmm. because he doesn't really so he kind of uh, reflects it back so it kind of goes back to the fact of like he can't really have relationships but even more interesting going back to like well nobody else does either is that no one calls him out on his interpretation of these things either because you know, they, it, they they also can't 
feel yeah or they don't care or you know whatever it's um they're all so selfish and they only care about about themselves and i think you you bring up um, a good point when you talk about his misinterpretation of the the um uh, huey lewis and the new song and like Patrick is seeing himself in that song. At least that's how it comes across to me. And almost in a weird way, I think without really seeing it, he thinks the song is is about himself. Because he wants to conform. He wants, he wants to fit in, you know. And then that that whole scene is just basically Paul is in his way to fitting in. But then he also wants to become Paul because that's how he's going to fit in. And by eliminating the comp- competition, he bumps his social status up, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's you know how I see that whole entire scene, um, which is a completely different kill scene from when he's running down the hallway naked with the chainsaw. That's just reckless abandon. Yeah, like at that at that point, that is a different. <laughs> Patrick Bateman, his relationship with himself is very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, your point, like he he mis- misinterprets songs. And I don't even think he realizes that he's doing it, but he is such a narcissist that he he can't help but think, you know, oh, every song is about me and my life and my and my journey. And the only person he can relate to is mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. And and (laughs) just as a side note, I had to laugh where he's like literally tracking with a chainsaw. (laughs) Yeah, trying to aim. I was like, oh my god, you've really yeah. (laughs) That's kind of yeah, but uh, but yeah. So I agree with you. I mean, I think I think that he he you know doesn't have the emotional Mm -hmm. tools, obviously, to kind of sit there and critique or interpret music or art mm-hmm. or anything like that um you know he just doesn't have the capacity to but if he feel but his society that he's in kind of requires him to kind of do this stuff so or feels like it's kind of expected to sound erudite or whatever and the fact that no one really cares about it it's the mm-hmm. performance of it that matters than whether whatever you're saying is actually insightful or yeah. not is 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 the interesting part you know and he has these things that he pulls out that are obviously these memorized diatribes yes that that he pulls out like when he was in the restaurant with um his fiance's cousin or whatever yeah he's pulling out that whole thing that he obviously does not believe about you know equality of women and civil rights and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. and he obviously doesn't believe it nor care and and no way yeah and that's a credit to bale's acting is you is you totally get the impression that this is something he's memorized he's not even really paying attention to what he's saying he's just spouting off his memorized monologue that yeah. is supposed to give him social points exactly for being aware and empathetic and whatnot and intelligent too and that's exactly how he comes across when he's yeah. like spouting off it of uh, the meaning of all of these songs and i have to admit like every single time he he does that my eyes glaze over and i'm not paying attention to what he's saying really i'm paying attention to like what the other people are 
doing in the scene because I'm I'm just like what the fuck is he talking about this is nonsense <laughs> you know but that's the whole point of it right and he's yeah he asked yeah. he ha- he has to surround himself with people who are less successful and dumber than he is so he can be the best right and that, and that's kind of I think the point too is that yeah. Everybody else probably does similar things, too, in the society that he hangs out with. I'm sure his fiance does similar stuff, you know, mm-hmm. playing mouthpiece to ideals she doesn't really believe in just because it's expected, you know. And, and it's this society that's been created that, that, you know, you say those things just to perform it. Like, mm-hmm. the sincerity is not the point. Um, which is why no one notices it because, Hey, if they're going to call out Patrick Bateman for not being sincere, then they're going to have to own up to all the other shit that they've said that is not sincere either. So that's what I think, you know, is kind of points out to a lot of times in the movie is that he doesn't have these relationships and everything like that with people or, or really have insightful things to say that he believes in. Mm-hmm. But he gets away with it for so long because no one else that he surrounds himself with does either. Yeah. You know, they're not honest. They're not being sincere and they're not really believing what they say, you know? So yeah. does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I even think like it goes down to like the the actual like physical um, look, the deck decorations of patrick's apartment it's all black and white Mm -hmm. basically which is like another subtle call to who he is really Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think um but to go i mean to kind of use that as a jumping off point about like you know who he is who the rest of these peep people are um you know you you know one one of the things you have here in your notes is about like Christy, the woman <laughs> the that prostitute. you know, the, or the one he the, calls Christy, the one yeah. the one that he calls Christy. You know, um, obviously her and then the other woman they have a very traumatic experience from the first time at his his house and <laughs> I had to go to the hospital and you what the what happened after they cut that like, scene like what, what? <laughs> yeah my friends like, told me I should get a lawyer you know like or something like, like that like what I, sh- I should get a lawyer right you know but it's you know it's it's like why does she go back a second time really I think it's you know she knows what she's getting into she like the like the money for her is more important for survival than it is the way that she's being treated by mm-hmm. by this person. I mean, if if you look at her her reaction the first time she's over there, she's in the tub, she has, you know, her 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 wine glass. She's basically like, This is like the highest like client I've ever had. You know, this is amazing. This is great. And then it starts getting weird. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't know so much about about this, but that's like a little part of this, I guess like this society that is willing to subject themselves to this kind of treatment from another class of person for survival basically and 
you know, from Patrick's point point of view, these women are just a means to to an end to fulfill this version of of himself that he is or wants to to become. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear your thoughts on all of that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I think, you know, like you said, you know, the first time she was all like, yeah, you know, all this money and this limo driver, whatever, you know, and all the treatment she's getting. And then when he shows up the second time, you know, she's she's weary and she's, you know, like, no, you know, it's not worth it and everything. But it kind of just goes to show, like, their different relationship with money. Like, he doesn't care, obviously. He has more than, you know, he needs and, you know, and doesn't understand, you know, like, I mean, and if if you, you know, let's say you could go into that moment and ask Patrick Bateman, like, oh, why did she, you know, get in there with you, you know, and he'd just be like, you know, you know, did he even consider it? Does he even care? Probably not, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think you're right in the fact that it, you know, money you know he kept kind of tempting her and then you know offering her money for it and you know her life is such that she can't like turn down you know that money you know so Mm -hmm. not that she wants to and she remembers the last time and obviously some horrific things if she needed stitches and and all this other stuff like where like you can imagine where but you know, but I don't want to imagine where. <laughs> no, yeah. put that back in the box. We don't want to open <laughs> no. <laughs> but we're opening the box. We're no. finding out what's in the box. What was in the box? Um, but actually, in the book, he violates her with a bunch of different things. Yeah. Just out of curiosity. <laughs> just if anyone is curious what ended up happening, just like yeah. he just grabbed random objects, basically. They but, went um, pretty freaking tame for for the film but then then again you have two women writers and a women director um doing this mm-hmm. so I, I i can understand yeah even though even though the book yeah. was written by a, a man yeah i think the movie benefited from having a woman director for yes. sure um absolutely because i think she kind of understood those things. And I, I, th- I honestly think that because of women's experiences that we kind of, uh, that, that she was able to use that experience to kind of contrast. That's why a lot of people mm-hmm. get that it's kind of a satirical masterpiece because when you understand that relationship, you can craft the movie in a way that we get that the rest of the world is just as shallow and can't connect as much as Patrick Bateman does when it might've gotten lost um, with another director. Um, And interestingly enough, thinking about, thinking about relationships that they had to understand um, the humor in it too, that the relationship to kind of the absurdity Mm -hmm. of what's going on as well and I read a story. I haven't been able to confirm it was true. So please don't come at me. Um, but I did read that. Well, first they considered Leonardo DiCaprio for the role. Oh. And that didn't work out. They actually met with him. They had different insights onto what the movie should be. Um, so that didn't work out. 
And they actually cast Ewan McGregor. Oh. And what happened is, is Christian Bale had read the script and wanted to do it so bad that he actually convinced Ewan McGregor not to do it so that he could do it. Wow. From what I read. And, and that's just an understanding because what he, what he talks about is um, Christian Bale talks about reading the script and saying, you know, because it is incredibly funny mm-hmm. at points. Yeah. You know, because of the ridiculous, you know, the absurd stuff that goes on that is taken so seriously yeah. by the characters in the movie. The business card scene. Yeah. First and yeah. foremost. Yeah. You know, and even the absurdity of the Huey Lewis and the news scene, you yeah. know, and 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 everything. And Mary Heron said, you know, when I talked to him, that was like one of the first things he said. And I knew that we were kind of like on the same page, you know, yeah. At, that, you know, along with getting the contrasting of the of the absurdity of the situations that are going on is essential to really understanding the satire satirical nature of the Mm -hmm. of the movie itself and the relationships in it so absolutely and and if you don't kind of get that then it could have fallen apart um but i think that christian bale mary heron really understood what they were going for in terms of like his relationships with his co-workers in terms of his relationship with himself they understood you know what they were going for and kind of how absurd it all was yeah even though you're making this thing about us part you know because they go together because part of what lets you get the theme of how ridiculous this all is and how superficial it all is and what the heck is going on is the absurdity yeah of certain scenes and it kind of highlights it instead of detracting from it so if you had just played it real serious and not allowed those moments to be what they are and how absurd they are like the business card scene or the huey lewis scene or any of the other stuff that goes on that's just you know absurd yeah you i think it would kind of undermine like it heightens and not detracts which i think from someone who hasn't had that experience wouldn't have gotten right you know of of being in that position of not being heard and not being understood and realizing kind of the absurdity of things you know absolutely and i think like that all like comes to a head um during that last scene when he's on the phone with with his lawyer and he's and he's breaking down it's actually kind of a funny scene and mm-hmm. he's just rattling off like yeah i killed da, 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 blah 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 and, and then oh yeah and then and then this so you know once once you get this message and it's like oh <laughs> he's leaving this all on an answering machine yeah oh my god <laughs> and, it, and yeah i mean it's absurd and you're like yeah. holy crap but it's absurd and you're sitting there and he's like you know, and I ate a little bit of her brain. I tried to cook it a little, and you're like, yeah. "What? <laughs> you know, what is going on? You know." So, so being able to allow those moments, the lector, damn it, like, yeah, <laughs> to be absurd, like underlines the message rather than detracts from it. And I think particularly Christian Bale understood that, which is why he ended up being, you know, he understood it, which is why he. According, if it's true, convinced Ewan McGregor not because he was like, I really understand. And he did it against the advice of pretty much all of his 
uh, and this is from that Charlie Rose interview I saw pretty much yeah. against the advice of like his agent and his family and friends and everything um, because they felt like if he did this role that 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 would be it like that he wouldn't be able to get another type of role it would it would you know ruin him essentially for doing any other type of acting which well, as Cliff- we know 20 years in the future it most certainly not. did not nope but at that time he didn't know that yeah and still made the choice that he kind of believed in what this was happening here and having mary heron and and all of that is about understanding relationships and understanding our interaction with them in a certain way to be able to bring that to the screen in a certain way because if you don't understand the relationships that are going on or lack of relationships going on and how they work it wouldn't have come out the same way because this movie isn't really i mean yeah ostensibly the plot is about this guy who's a serial killer and slowly unwinds but the thing is is like it's really not yeah it's about society. It's about our lack of relationships. It's about our lack of connection with other people that we don't even realize there's a serial killer, you know, like in our midst, you know, when it's right in our face. Yeah. You know, no matter how that, that we would rather liken it to absurdity and comedy and a joke than take it seriously. Absolutely. Somebody's cry for help seriously. Absolutely. Like some, somebody saying, I actually need, need help. I don't know what's going yeah. on. Did you then- know I'm literally insane? Yeah. Nobody responded to that. Like you literally said, did you know I'm completely insane? You know, he says outright and in so many ways tries to get people to understand yeah. and connect. You know, even if it's just to be like, you are a disgusting human being, you are sick and can't. Like, yeah. that's what really breaks him. Like, yeah. like, that no matter what I do, you know, everybody is so wrapped up in their own stuff. Everybody has such superficial connections to other people that it literally does not matter what I can do. I tell you straight to your face, I killed a bunch of people. You know, I'm literally drawing horrific pictures in front of you. You know, I'm, I'm doing all of this stuff yeah. and it I'm- makes... absolutely no difference i'm telling you i'm into murder and executions and you are and you hear that as mergers and acquisitions (laughs) yeah (laughs) right the wordplay on that alone is is amazing but i mean if we're gonna talk about you know like favorite quotes Mm. out of the whole film that fall in line with that uh, absurdity my favorite is when they're doing blow in the bathroom and the guy in the other stall is like, hey, can you keep it down? I'm trying to do drugs here. Like, <laughs> it matters if, if, if people are talking. If yeah. Kill your, like, how is this ruining your drug? Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and they're all in there doing that. I think that was also of that little bit that you're talking about. Like, it's not a rebellious thing. You know, they're not like being a little rebels or whatever by snorting coke in the bathroom because everybody else in that bathroom is doing the same thing yeah and patrick he just wants to fit in yeah 
so he's gonna do coke whether or not like his friend is complaining that it what was not very good yeah yeah what was it like baking powder yeah I, it's nice like I, it's like so whatever I, yeah you know he Bateman was like whatever you know just just snort it you know just snort it we're still gonna get high and then his his friend it's just like whoa you know maybe you just shouldn't be doing coke anyways regardless of how pure it is you're a little aggressive there dude mm-hmm. coke, coke is the last thing you should be doing <laughs> yeah like <laughs> so so we kind of talked about um paul uh allen so mm-hmm. um you know he kind of represents like the step up or or like another version of bateman or like a higher version and that's why he ends up kind of killing him not kind of killing him he did but like what you know it kind of i i feel like you were right in saying that that was kind of the impetus for that yeah um, just kind of going back to that real quick that paul allen kind of represented like stuff that bateman wanted or felt like he should want i mean does he really want anything or does he just you know that's what's expected to us this i think it's just this is his idea of what right. he's supposed to do in society i mean he's 27 years old on the what a ceo or a vice president vice president of, yeah vice president yeah. like first of all what <laughs> <laughs> 27 but then it's daddy's company um yeah and he doesn't do anything like all the same no never see him actually work or anything like that he's listening to music and that's why he does those things like pick up the phone and be talking to because he's trying to give the impression that he actually does shit all day yeah and he doesn't you know it doesn't matter it's worthless which goes back to the superficial nature of the whole thing like he doesn't yeah. even have a job that he does that benefits people you no. know it, it, you know it's it's you know completely so yeah and paul allen represents kind of like the next manifestation of that so he had to get rid of it you know exactly and uh i think the last little point i want to talk about before mm-hmm. we wrap up uh, was the detective we've mentioned him a couple times yeah and you know william defoe is fantastic i love him yeah in everything and what i liked about this was it, it made me question whether he actually believed the stuff Bateman was telling him or not. He acted like he did. Mm-hmm. But did he really believe what Bateman was telling him? I don't think so at all. Okay. You know, um, there's uh, – and I, I say that because right at the end of, like, the very first time that that they meet, um, the – wow, God, what is the the – detectives say oh uh, because um bait bateman makes a reference to oh i have you know i have a uh, lunch meeting at at the four seasons in 20 minutes and the detective is like oh isn't that all the way uptown like i you're gonna be late yeah (laughs) you're you're gonna be late and then patrick's like oh no there's another one down down here and the and the detective is like oh really blah 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 blah. you know it's like no 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 detective is on to your bullshit mr bateman yeah like when, there's there's no way <laughs> yeah you know i kind of got because the whole thing where he tells him like oh yeah he said he was there with um so and so and so and so and you and, and the baby's like yeah Wait, what I got, and that's another misidentification. Like someone mistook him for actually being at that event. Yeah. And he wasn't. And they was like, oh, I must have forgot. And and the detective does this little like eye roll, like, 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 oh, it just went out of your mind, huh? You know? Yeah. So I do think that that was kind of an indicator of 
that he doesn't really believe in, but he didn't have anything that he could actually like use really. Yeah. You know, if someone was claiming that he was there, you know, he can't really, you know, there's not really evidence of it, yeah. you know? Um, you know, and, and I think the detective was also like a, like a kind of also a way kind of like the secretary was a little bit and Christy, the prostitute was of like a little bit into the world where people are not all the same. Yeah. You know, because the detective was also able to keep track of details yes. um, and tried to catch him like, Oh, and what school did you say he went to again? And I didn't, you know that he's like, Oh, I just wanted to know if you remembered that because Patrick had told him that Alan went to Yale. Yeah. And then just a couple seconds later, the detective asked him, you know, what school? And you can tell that the detective remembered, obviously. So the detective is another one that kind of pays attention as well, but not like in an intimate way that we've been describing with the others. Yeah. But in a, in a, I'm not, I don't live in a world where everybody is disposable and interchangeable. Yeah. I live in a world where I can actually tell the difference between Yeah, people. and I'm not a narcissist or a pathological liar you know, where Patrick has just made up so many things, he can't even keep track of his own lies. So in the moment when he's like, oh, yeah, he went to yell two, two seconds later. Uh, what? Yeah, don't you know that? <laughs> you, you know, mean? and he was, he was like, yeah, you know that, right? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I just wanted to see if you remembered. You know, he yeah. was kind of confused that they... You know, it, he either didn't remember or he was confused that the that he was actually being called out on it because he's yep. not being called out on things like that. Yeah, everybody. That, that the detective was trying to. So I think the detective and perhaps Gene and um, the the Christie, yeah, kind of give us those little glimpses of people who actually don't. I mean, Lewis kind of obviously paid attention to him, but for kind of different reasons. Not that he doesn't live in that world, but the fact that he wanted something from Patrick, I think is the that. only reason he kind of paid attention because he obviously lives in that world, yeah. you know, um, and everything, despite like being in the closet, whatever, whether bisexual or gay or whatever yeah. he happened to be, um, he still kind of lived in that world. So it kind of came off as kind of, yeah, he paid attention to Patrick, but kind of in a, you know, selfish kind of, you know, I want sex from you you know, kind of way yeah. I've been fantasizing about you. Whereas the others, Gene, Christy, and, and the detective, you kind of get the impression that it's because they don't live in that world. So they can therefore pay attention to people and make actual, like, connections with people, you know, which yeah. may have been one of the reasons why the secretary was so sad because she just realized how superficial and how, like, not connected everybody was and yeah i mean I, 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 <laughs> I would feel the same thing if uh, my boss was a serial killer except i'd be taking pictures of the notebook and then i would just put it back in the desk i'd quit and then i would go to the police and be like just in case my boss destroys this notebook um i think he's killing people or i would go I find killing. that detective again and i i would just be like yeah um do something <laughs> do something about this do Please. something <laughs> yeah and you know and the fact that nothing does is kind of the ultimate kind of thing about how superficial it was but yeah we've or, been talking yeah. for a bit yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh do we have any last uh you know oh 
God, I don't know. No, I mean, there's obviously so much to unpack, but I think, yeah. I think just, we're if, on the main, you know, point. I think, I think, I think we're good. I think the only thing left left to say is if you haven't watched this movie or if you've never even heard of it, but um, <laughs> sorry, you know, we did give you a spoiler warning at the, at the very beginning. But if you still want to watch it, um, unfortunately, it's not on Netflix, it's not on Hulu, but you can rent it on Amazon Prime or buy it. I think it's like three ninety nine dollars. Or rent. I rented it from my local library. So oh, do that too. Local libraries. No, excuse me. We're. I'm gonna take back everything I said about Amazon. <laughs> For, for for real go see if your library has it uh, that's how i did it <laughs> do that and while you're at it if you don't have a library card get a library card because mm-hmm. i i took out the book too at the same mm-hmm. time i'm sure the librarian yes. thinks i'm prepping for something but uh, that's a different podcast <laughs> re, 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 re. Yeah, i mean we'll we'll do psycho at some point but uh yeah so yeah. at one point i really did have to go return some videotapes <laughs> I really didn't have to go return it. The irony. Oh, the irony. Yeah, <laughs> to rest in peace, blockbuster, Hollywood video. What are we things. doing next time? Next what are we time. doing next time? Should we, we tell them or should or should it be a surprise? Well, first of all, because maybe they can yeah. they can uh participate and be ready for you know, they won't have to be time. like, oh, I have to read something before I yeah. listen to this first. Uh, we are doing Typewriter of the Word Processor of the Gods by Stephen King. Yeah. The short story. Um, it is in Skeleton Crew, his very uh, classic, so many classic tales in that, mm-hmm. uh, that collection. But um, we are doing Word Processor of the Gods. There is so much to unpack in terms of relationships in that one. So... Very That's excited. what we're going to do next time. Yeah. And you can catch um, our podcast again. And um, we're doing it right now every two other weeks. week. Yep. So every two weeks. So what? What what is today, Danny? Today is April April fourteenth. April fourteenth. So we'll be back on April twenty eighth, and um, with a discussion about um, or processor of the gods. So again, if you could find a copy at your local library <laughs> of it, or if um, you're like me and you have an extensive Stephen King collection, mm-hmm. probably in there, or just you know buy buy a copy of it somewhere because you know it's it's not just about having books actual physical books on your shelf but it's about smelling them too um yeah danny danny agrees with me i do we're we're on the same level hell yeah Yeah. (laughs) um yeah uh my copy is well loved i will i will tell you (laughs) yes i think yeah, I think half of it like fell apart when I was actually reading this story. Oh, no. <laughs> See, who needs cocaine when you can just smell old books? That's right. That's yes, right. You don't. You don't need to <laughs> smell books. They could have yeah. saved money too. Save. Money. I know. Go buy a paperback for a dollar and just sniff that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, should we go to Dorcia tonight? What do you think? Good. I don't know. I will try to get a reservation. We'll try to get. No, I can get a table. I totally can get a table. Yeah, for sure. I know a guy. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) So you do that. I'll show up just like high out of my mind on painkiller. Right, right. So then I can fool you into believing you're actually somewhere else. Exactly. If I can't get. (laughs) 
it doesn't okay (laughs) (laughs) indeed all right well we will talk to y'all next time and all right yeah thanks everybody for joining us on our inaugural episode Mm -hmm. um and until then you know Always look, in boxes. <laughs> Always look in boxes <laughs> to find out what's in the box. Always. <laughs>